Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. An unscrupulous person. Some angry left-wing law clerk. Trying to subvert the way the Supreme Court operates. In order to politically impact the elections, the Democrats are hoping is this will re-energize a base that has been so disappointed with the Biden administration. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. We've got a three-hour program we're going to try to squeeze into 60 minutes. Uh, <laughs> the Supreme Court is uh, all over the news. In fact, if you want to find other news, you got to dig a little deeper. Of course, by now, this is uh, old news. Everybody's heard that the Supreme Court um, has... Well, you you know that Samuel Alito's draft was leaked, and we were just debating which Supreme Court justice staff leaked it or which Supreme Court justice leaked it. I, I doubt if one of the justices did. Whether or not a clerk or an employee leaked it, uh, highly likely. And this is not going to be hard to figure out. I mean, there's not that many people that have access to this information. The uh, Chief Justice, John Roberts, was uh, not happy. The Supreme Court issued a response to the report that the draft opinion had been leaked. Uh, In a brief message, the court acknowledged the leak and uh, it said the document is real, by the way. There's, There's not a question now. And apparently the People that would have signed on it, uh, onto the document with Samuel Alito were the ones that you would have thought. Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Justice Thomas, and um, uh, Neil Gorsuch were the five. Uh, we're assuming, and, and again, uh, the, the draft was genuine, which basically says it's time to end Roe v. Wade. That is genuine, but it's not the final draft and it's not the final vote. If you know anything about the Supreme Court, you know, they say, okay, we're going to hear a case. The attorneys file the written briefs. They set up an oral argument. They come together to hear the oral argument, and they, they can, the oral argument can go 40 minutes per side, or it can last a lot longer if the justices decide they want to have more information and dialogue and ask the attorneys questions. But generally speaking, you know, they'll go a couple of hours at the very longest usually less than that, uh, they'll have the oral argument. Then immediately they will go back and they will, they will have a discussion amongst themselves. And within, uh, sometimes within minutes, but certainly within hours, they will take a vote on that case. Now, it's a preliminary vote. How do you feel about it? Would you, would you, which side, how are you going to vote? They vote and the majority then, they assign the opinion writing to one of the members of the majority. And in this case, assuming that happened, they decided to have Samuel Alito write the opinion. Uh, That has been leaked. Now, and what happens then is the opinion is passed around. It's edited. People make suggestions. Uh, There's dissenting opinions that are written off of that. And then just prior to it becoming public, they will go back into... uh, uh, the, the nine justices will get together and they will re-vote again on what they think of, the, uh, uh, of their opinion. Uh, you know, are you still in favor of it? So one of the reasons why this was leaked 
is to bring a lot of pressure onto these justices. I mean, another reason they leaked it is, quite frankly, and it's already started today, the Democrats have already sent out an email begging for money and their votes in this upcoming general election. (laughs) Never let a good crisis go to waste. Absolutely. You know, last night when I first heard the uh, breaking news, I was actually just – just got where i could sit down and turn on television i had to turn on sean hannity and he was opening with that so i intentionally because i mean I, I know, and you immediately by the way texted me yeah, and texted said turn you. on sean yeah and and i immediately switched away from him because i you know i know what his reaction is going to be on it so i immediately went to some other channels just to see see what the opposition was saying see what they were going to say and right off the bat you know they start talking about you know the politicization of the court of the supreme court you know of course blame trump for his you know three appointments and that type of thing but but what i find interesting they say that and how many times do you see republicans go and and stay and republican leadership you don't see this you see nancy pelosi chuck schumer and others in the democrat party go to the supreme court steps and hold press conferences about issues when there's a case going on um, you know, Obama was the first president that I know of in my adult life, and I've I've seen every single state of the union since I was like less than ten years old, and I'm you know in my fifties. Um, he was the first one that I ever saw call out the Supreme Court yeah. in the State of the Union yeah. address on national TV, and it was Samuel Alito that Samuel shook, Alito. His, head no, uh, shook yeah. his head and said no to uh, his comments. So you know, the Democrats have been politicizing the court. I mean, they threatened just. For the last few months, threatened, let's pack the court. Let's pack every federal. If that's not politicization of the court, I don't know what it is. Exactly. So, I mean, this to me is obvious that, uh, hey, we're we're killing it in the polls. uh, Our border is a mess. Inflation is the worst it's been in 40, 50 years. Um, We've got a leader of the party, leader of the free world that can't complete a sentence. We got to take off the focus on and put it on something else and try to rally our base for the midterms because everyone says we're going to get crushed in the midterms. It's a political move without a doubt. Well, and if you were to look at the news today and look at the reaction from Hollywood and the left, it is uh, you, you would think that the Supreme Court opinion would be not only are we undoing Roe v. Wade and sending the right to abortion to be decided by the people in the state legislatures? That's all this happened. I mean, they have not come out. You'd think they came out and they said, abortion ends today and anybody that commits abortion or has an abortion will be electrocuted. I mean, to see their reaction, it is, quite frankly, uh, I would like to see abortion outlawed that's my personal opinion. That's not what the court has said. The court has said this is going to be a state's rights issue. And the folks in California, they're in the process of creating an industry for abortion that you pay them. They fly you out there. They put you in a hotel. They take you to your local Planned Parenthood or whatever abortion mill you want to go to. They give the abortion. They check you out. They send you back home. It's all said and done. Yeah, and they argue, you know, hey, Roe versus Wade has been the law of the land for almost 50 years. Well, well, first of all, it was not a law that was created by the people. It was created by the justices, this this president. And it's not like it's been, okay, it's been decided. We all agree. It has been a constant, my my entire lifetime has been a constant debate every single election cycle. So 
So, so Democrats, what do you want? Do you want the people to decide, or do you want justices to decide about every little issue? I mean, it's really the start of legislation by the bench, to be honest with you. Well, and that's where that's where it started from, and that's where they wanted to continue. Interestingly, Samuel Alito addressed that addressed that very issue in his uh, in his opinion piece, and it's available online. If you go to Politico, they're the ones that uh, ended up it was leaked to them, and there's there's all kinds of links on just about every different site that you can read the opinion. It's a fairly easy read, but one of the things he says as related to the fact because. Remember when the justices passed this, and then they passed Casey versus the uh, Planned Parenthood, they, they kept saying, well, if we pass this, it's going to bring peace and harmony to the world. That once this is settled law, and of course you've heard, you've heard the liberals talk about this over and over again. All oh, the, the Supreme Court decided it, therefore it's settled law, don't argue it. Uh, well, if the Supreme Court changes its mind, uh, it's settled law. You're not going to argue it. But, but uh, to the fact that the, that liberals came out and said, "Well, this w- this will decide it once and for all, and we can get on." Um, Alito wrote, "Roe certainly did not succeed in ending division on the issue of abortion. On the contrary, Roe inflamed a national issue that has remained bitterly des- divisive for the past half century." The court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling people, just move on. Whatever influence the court may have on public attitudes must stem from the strength of our opinions, not an attempt to exercise raw judicial power. I thought that was the most powerful statement in his entire draft. But, uh, you know, he, he answers a lot of the questions that uh, uh, people have argued you can't go there. Uh, Joe Biden today. Boy, Joe Biden is... <laughs> pitiful? Pitiful. <laughs> what I, happened? I, I mean, one of the... Uh, and I'll get into more of his comments, but one of the things that was really pitiful was the fact that he was incoherent and and he, he is not a theologian. All right, for being a devout Catholic, he does not have any idea which end is up. <laughs> he, he came out and said today, this devout Catholic came out and said today, Rose says what all basic mainstream religions have historically concluded, that the existence of a human life and being is a question and it is at the moment of conception. Is it six months, six weeks? Is it quickening like... Aquinas argued. Basically, he came out and said that all all mainstream religions would support Roe v. Wade. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 beyond the pale, uh, and and he just continues to make an idiot of himself. He uh, earlier today said that the Supreme Court's draft opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, really is a quite a radical decision, warning that if sustained, a whole range of rights are in question. You know, one of the interesting things about this, and, and of course, then the Democrats went on to ask for money. The, the President of the United States, and, and we've got the January 6th Commission that basically says, wait a minute, there's an insurrection that took place when uh, the, the people went to the Capitol. The... the we, we now have the, uh, a pre- and, and Trump was blamed for it, right? Well, we now have a president today 
that came out when someone, you know, is it criminal? I'm not a lawyer. I would think that this person should be charged. Uh, Mitch McConnell said he should be charged. Jonathan Turley said he certainly could be charged uh, if uh, he doesn't cooperate with the FBI and lies about it or did something illegal to get the information over. But consider the fact that you have the president of the United States that basically has come out and slammed the executive, the uh, judicial branch, mm-hmm. a third of our government. Mm-hmm. He has basically come out and undermined that. And and yet he comes out and says that uh, if, if this is going to be sustained, a whole range of rights will now be in question. Well, the bottom line is these rights that he's referring to are the fabricated rights of progressive judicial activists that have creatively invented ways of saying but never really believing that these rights are constitutionally upheld. They're not. And Alito, again, came out real clearly today and said, you know what? These so-called uh, constitutional rights of abortion are not to be found anywhere in the Constitution. No, and it's it's typical. You know, Democrats like to, to mention constitutional rights to an issue that they they agree with yeah, they, only I mean, when they agree with and, it, and act like you know they're they're golden written in stone. The, the, the carry on what Biden said today is funny. You started mentioning it and didn't finish. I, I had I had circled this. Uh, about when he talks about the radical decision, I thought this was kind of rich. With the typical hypocrisy of the Democrat and the progressives. It, Biden went on to say, all the decisions we make in private life, who you marry, whether you can have an abortion, how you raise your child, it's a fundamental shift. Okay, how you raise your child. But they're okay with mm. the government allowing a child to go cut off their private parts, yep. and the parents don't have any say. Or whisking them out for an abortion. Yeah, well, it's, it's just... Their hypocrisy is just stunning to me, and it's but it's on every issue. It's every issue. He went on to say one of the issues this court, many members of the court have not acknowledged is there a right to privacy in the Constitution. You know, again, and, and they go to uh, the 14th Amendment. He says, quote, if this decision holds, it really is a radical decision. All the decisions make, just what you said, it make in private life who you marry, whether you have an abortion, how you raise your child is a fundamental shift. Um, Biden said earlier in today in a statement that his administration had argued in defense of Roe v. Wade. By the way, Joe Biden on numerous occasions has said how he is against abortion. In 1982, he voted for an amendment to overturn abortion. He has sent out letters to constituents saying, I've voted to ban the, the funding of abortion over 50 times. So, I mean, this guy is a... Uh, He's he's a chameleon. Whatever he needs to be, whenever he needs to be it. Now he just can't remember what he needs to be at the moment. But he says, um, Biden earlier on Tuesday in a statement that his administration has argued in defense of Roe v. Wade before the court saying is based on the long line of precedent recognizing the 14th Amendment concept of personal liberty against government interference with intensely intensely personal decisions. Well, uh, again... Alito made very clear the, the, this 14th Amendment argument. Uh, he says, in his opinion, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provisions, including the one in which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held 
to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution. Basically, anything you want, the 14th Amendment, progressives say, gives you the right to have. But any such right must be deeply rooted within this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. The right to abortion does not fall within this category until the latter part of the 20th century. Such a right was entirely unknown in American law. Indeed, when the 14th Amendment was adopted, three quarters of the states made abortion a crime at all stages, at all stages of pregnancy. Rose defenders characterized the abortion right as similar to the rights recognized in past decisions involving matters such as intimate sexual relationship, contraception, and marriage, but abortion is fundamentally different, as both Roe and Casey acknowledge, because it destroys what those decisions called fetal life, what the law now before us describes as unborn human being. It is, uh, again, I'd encourage everybody to go back and read this opinion. It's a fairly easy read. It's well, very well written. And uh, the, the arguments uh, against this are just totally, totally bizarre and, and, frankly, very, very lacking. You know, and Justice Leo is uh, no stranger in writing – I mean, he's – in the supporting opinions and dissenting opinions, I mean, he's typically the guy that drafts an awful lot uh, on, on – uh, I mean, I guess you could say conservative. I mean, yeah. he's conservative as it relates to the constitutional law, but uh, – I mean, he's been pr- quite prolific in his career writing the opinions. That genius Eric Swalwell from California claimed today that the mm. Republican Party was seeking to ban interracial marriage. The Republicans won't stop with banning abortion. They will ban interracial marriage. Do you want to save that, Swalwell wrote? Well, you should probably go out and vote. It's interesting. Who would have thought that a Democrat like Swalwell would actually use the race card when it comes to abortion. Mm-hmm. I mean, the race, the race card is their answer for everything. And, and it's another case. Uh, I mean, I think it's just another issue. Uh, in the, the bottom line, them releasing this opinion early, um, just it just tears down the court. That, that should not happen in court because, yeah. you know, the, the justices should have a right to either you know support their opinion. Cha- they can change their mind. I mean, right on up to the point it's signed in the law, and to put pressure on people. And the justices, you saying, "Oh my gosh, you're you know they're they're riding in the streets." Um, I mean, heck, I hate to say it, but they, they might fear for their safety. Oh, I, listen, they've got security now. I mean, absolutely. If if you want to do something, pray for the safety of these five justices. Because I, I mean, I am not trying to implement scare tactics, but in all honesty, these individual—I mean, look at Antifa and Black yeah. Lives Matter. They, I mean, they wouldn't hesitate for a second to try to take one of these people out. There, there's no elected official when there when there's something that's being discussed at the Supreme Court and it hadn't been ruled on yet. Even after it's been ruled on, they have no business going to the steps of the Supreme Court yeah. and and you know making a PR stunt yeah. like the Democrats are so famous for doing. Yeah. I mean, if that's not inciting a riot, if that's not an encouraging insurrection, what is? Pray for their safety. Greg Murphy released a statement today. Yesterday's unprecedented leak undermines the integrity of the judicial process, and it must be thoroughly investigated. The American people will not tolerate this unethical breach to, uh, designed to intimidate, disrupt, and obstruct the justices from upholding the constitutional obligations. 
if the draft opinion holds the lengthy uh, the legality of abortion rather will rightfully return to the states where the american people have the power to decide through their elected officials as a practicing physician and a lawmaker i'll continue to uphold the sanctity of life and defend those who cannot defend themselves i pray our supreme court will ultimately protect the right to life well said we got to take a time out stay with us more news and views coming right up This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back. Benny Hardy in for Tom Lamprecht to take you to the top of the hour today. Uh, on this Tuesday, May 3rd, uh, due to the weather, it's kind of hot today. It was 92 when I was rolling in today and um, said today the high was supposed to be 88, but I think we got past that. Hoping to have some uh, a little bit of rain chances tonight and tomorrow, 30% tonight and 60% tomorrow. And then a little bit of a cooler weather coming for Thursday and Friday as we roll into Mother, Mother's Day weekend, even a little cooler. So hopefully uh, we badly need the rain. The farmers have really had a tough planting season so far. As you know, it's kind of dry and dusty out there. Uh, before we move on and talk about the Supreme Court issue today and some other things. Tomorrow at 520 on our show, we will have Judge Beth Freshwater Smith that is uh, running for the Court of Appeals in the Republican primary. She will be joining us tomorrow at 530. be great to um, hear her and hear what she has to say. She is, I believe, from Wilson, I think. And um, so we'll have her on at 520 as we come up into primary season. Uh, as we continue, and if you guys want to call in to talk about the Supreme Court issue and the, the fact that the releasing of the opinion uh, from last night, feel free to call in at 252-561-8255 and see what your thoughts are. Um, we, we talked about all the comments today from various sources, and there's a very long, a very long article, but if you get a chance to Google it, you can find him uh, Glenn Greenwald, an attorney, blogger, writer, really a champion of individual rights. Uh, I have kind of followed him over the years on various topics. Uh, he's kind of a, I guess you could say, a, you know, some would say conservative, some would say more libertarian. He's all about individual rights and the Constitution and that type of thing. He was the big person that spoke out uh, really against the Bush administration and Congress at the time of just after 9-11 of the Patriot Act, and that, that was one that I thought— uh, really stamped on individual and personal freedoms and privacy and that type of thing. But he, he's got a long article today about the release of this information from the Supreme Court and really uh, kind of the constitutional basis of Roe versus Ray, Wade and, and, and not on the constitutional side of things. But just to read briefly some of his things, he says, every time there's a controversy regarding a Supreme Court ruling, the same set of radical fallacies emerges regarding the role of the court, the Constitution, and how the American Republic is designed to function. Each time the court invalidates a democratically elected law on the ground that it violates a constitutional guaranteed, as happened in Roe v. Wade, those who favor the invalidated proclaim that something undemocratic has transpired. That is a form of judicial tyranny for five unelected judges to overturn the will of the majority. 
Conversely, when the court refuses to invalidate a democratically elected law, those who regard that law as preconious, as an attack on fundamental rights, accuse the court of failing to protect vulnerable individuals. Well, this kind of gets to the premise of really the way our constitutional form of government is formed. Uh, people always want to you know, point that we're a democracy. Well, we're actually a you know, constitutional republic. You know, if it wasn't for our constitution and was it for us being able to elect leaders to represent us, then it would always be majority rule. So how about if I just say, you know, if, hey, the majority says that we don't like people with red hair, so let's don't let them do a certain function in society. That's not right. That's why we have a set of laws. And, you know, a lot of things, um, a lot of things, you know, if you go back to James Madison and uh, some of the, the drafters and founders of our uh, Constitution, and particularly through the federal papers, uh, Mr. Greenwald refers to the federal Federalist papers about this very issue. This is one of the primary concerns in designing the new American Republic, if not the chief concern, was how to balance the need to establish rule by majority democracy with equally compelling need to restrain majorities from veering into impassioned self-interest attacks on the rights of minorities. So, to my example, if we if redheads are the minority in society, uh, that doesn't mean that majorities should be able to uh, restrain their rights just because they're in the minority. Uh, as Madison put it in the Federalist Papers, to secure the public good and private rights against the danger of such a faction and at the same time preserve the spirit in the form of popular government is then the great object to which our inquiries are directed. So the point of the Constitution, ultimately the Supreme Court, was to establish a republic, not a public pure democracy that would place powers on the, on the majorities. So, you know, Glenn Greenwald just uh, writes a good, um, good op-ed on this today on his website, and it kind of, it's kind of uh, funny, the reaction of the progressives and the Dems that I spoke to just a few minutes ago from last night, I mean, speaks to this very point. Um, you know, everybody talks about, uh, you know, the liberals last night was accusing the court of acting undemocratically as he announced the ability of five unelected aristocrats. So, I mean, so here's the question. Um, so is it okay if, you know, the five rule in your favor but it's not okay when they rule against you so which is it and it just goes back to the point that tom and i and we talk about all the time on, on several issues that um you know it's the job it's the job of the supreme court and, and the various lower courts to rule on the the law that is enacted by the people the people don't write the law necessarily but they elect the people who write the law so that's just another prime example of we, we see that every day, and you know it's 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 kind of funny that with everything going on right now, with the border being a mess, inflation at a 40, 50 year old forty or fifty year high, Joe Biden's numbers are you know just terrible. Uh, you know every major poll right now says the midterm elections are just going to be a wipeout for Democrats. All of a sudden, someone in the court system had to be someone in the court system, had to be probably an assistant of one of the justices or someone that works for the Supreme Court, leaked this opinion 
before it's time to be leaked to the public. So it's just another case of the Democrats making an issue and making a focus on one issue, trying to segregate people, trying to divide people so that the American public won't keep their eye on what's really happening um, in the world. Well, that's what uh, we talked about uh, all last night. <laughs> I, I, I think I was texting last night to everybody I know that follows politics and stuff, and we knew it would be the news of the day. But there has been some other things going on in the world, and we didn't talk about it uh, early in the week because, quite frankly, we probably didn't watch much of it. But I guess it was over the weekend, um, you know, Washington always has their – what some talk call the White House Correspondents' Dinner, some call the the White House Geek Prom or or the Washington D.C. Geek Prom, but they had the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and the last one that was, I guess they had was in 2016 uh, that that president went to because Trump never attended those, and then we roll into COVID in 2020, so they hadn't have a White House uh, Correspondents' Dinner since uh, since COVID and. You know, I, I watched a little bit of tapes of it just because sometimes, sometimes there is some funny stuff that goes on. And uh, particularly when you have a comedian, that will equally be tough on, on either party. And, you know, we haven't had that in comedy since, you know, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, you know, David Letterman was good up until the end. Up to the end, I guess he, he really started getting a little bit, you know, too one-sided in, in his uh, in his political hits you know saturday night live used to be equally tough on everyone but uh but you know saturday night live rarely uh you know all they did for four years was just bash trump which you know trump was an easy target on on many things just just because of the way he looked and the way he acted sometimes but uh but they never got on president obama much and uh and you know biden's easy target now and you know they're getting on biden a little bit more but the comedian Trevor Noah, I just thought he he had some good uh, some good lines uh, at the White House uh, Correspondents Dinner. He started out said, "Thank you for having me here, uh, President Joe Biden." Uh, I was a little confused on why me, but then I was told to get your highest approval ratings when you have a biracial African guy standing next to you. So, uh, and and if you don't know uh, Trevor Noah, I, I assume he's biracial. Uh, he, he appears to be biracial, but he was kind of uh, making a dig to a, a President Obama when he stands next to uh, Joe Biden. He also went on to uh, just just really uh, go after CNN, which I, I thought was hilarious, given the fact that uh, they're an easy target. Uh, he said uh, one, one thing he said I thought was really funny. He hit CNN with several digs, but he said uh, it's, it's glad that, you know, we're, we're here uh, after two years with COVID. Uh, we can get comfortable, but not too comfortable, Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> uh, if you remember, Jeffrey Tubin was the legal correspondent for CNN that in a Zoom call, let's just say um, he forgot to cut off the camera and took matters in his own hands, so to speak. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's but he cracked on Jeffrey Tubin by not getting too comfortable. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, and then also he talked about where is Jeffrey Zucker, which is you know his leader of CNN, uh, former president of CNN, that resigned last month or a couple of months ago. He said Jeff got fired off because he tried to keep his workplace relationship secret, which is weird because if he really didn't want anyone to know about him, he could have just made a show about it on CNN Plus. And. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and that was the, that was the reference to CNN Plus that uh, you know lasted about as long as um, <clears throat> what Clark a um, maybe the Kentucky Derby yeah but a good a good flush of the toilet about all it lasted and by the end of uh, Noah's uh, stand up routine I guess you could say. You know, he he said he said some some funny things, but he also said uh, something that was you know I thought was good to address the media today, particularly the the press in Washington. That's just you know really in the tanks for progressives. He says in America you have the right to seek the truth and speak the truth, even if it makes people in power uncomfortable, even if it makes viewers or readers uncomfortable. You understand how amazing that is? I stood here tonight, and I made fun of the President of the United States, and I'm going to be fine. And then he turns to Joe Biden and says, I am going to be fine, right? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, you know, we, I typically don't watch that, but I wanted to watch it this year since we hadn't had it in a couple of years. And, uh, but I thought, I thought it was pretty funny that he hit on everybody. You know, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more progressive hypocrisy and more liberal pro- hypocrisy and the COVID hypocrisy that we've lived through for two years. When we come back in just a minute. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back to News and Views on this Tuesday, May 3rd. And if you want to call in and uh, talk about the news of the day, you can call in at 252-561-8255, 252-561-8255. I think we have a caller from Aiden John. John, go ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, a little change the subject, but... Uh... It's about the cognitive test for the president. Uh-huh. Uh, it ran, reminded me, last week Dr. Oz was on Hannity, and he was telling about the cognitive test. And, you know, once a year, my primary physician requires me to take the cognitive test because uh, I'm on uh, Medicare. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, why do I have to take one and lead to the free world, does it? <laughs> John, that's a very good question. I know uh, you, you probably remember when Donald Trump was in the White House, uh, he intentionally took some cognitive tests, you know, because the mainstream media continued to just berate him with things and question his cognitive ability. And, and you know, if you're impartial at all, Donald Trump, yeah, I, I have to admit, Donald Trump said some things that made you kind of raise your eyebrows from time to time because he was just a, you know, because he was just a New Yorker that, you know, that's the way they are sometimes, uh, particularly from where he was from, working in the construction trades and building hotels and that type of thing. But, you know, Donald Trump was sharp as a tack. And when he started dealing with numbers, you knew, I mean, Donald Trump could go for an hour and talk about detailed numbers, uh, whether it be the budget issue or, or whatever, and he never missed a beat. 
and having a little bit of experience, I'm certainly no medical person, but unfortunately I have experienced uh, family members with cognitive issues over the years, and it's, it's a sad thing to see. And, you know, you know, numbers is one of the first things to go, and you see that with, with President Biden all the time where he will just, I mean, really, I mean, it's easy to make a mistake. I mean, I make mistakes on air all the time, but, you know, he makes mistakes with numbers pretty pretty frequently and uh but that's a very good point john i i hey why not but uh you know they don't talk about it um i mean every time uh, a question is raised by you know peter Ducey's the only one in the white house uh correspondence uh people that ask any questions about that you know they just they just brush it off and, and never address it but um you know that's that's a very good point if you have to do it for medicare why not the leader of the free world Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Good point. Very good point. And we have another caller, Ron from – Ron, where are you from? Uh, Green County. Green County. What part of Green County? Uh, between Hookerton and Walstonburg. Okay. Green County. I go through it every night on the way home. What's your, what's your, uh, what's your topic of the day, Ron? I just want to talk a little bit about what I was reading about uh, Vladimir Putin. And, um, you know, now I find it interesting he's withholding um, – like fertilizer and grain and, and things like that um, from when he probably needs to um, rethink that. But I, now they're talking about it could cause even more food supply shortages. And at the same time, we've got all these warehouses, these uh, fertilizer and grain warehouses catching on fire. That was just an interesting observation. Um, and all of this, while all the other stuff that you guys have been talking about are, are going on, um, you know, in the world. And so, uh, find an interest in all of it's coming down the pike at the same time. That's a good point, Ron. And, and you know, um, I, I mean, personally, I, I don't know that we've seen anything yet in terms of food prices because to your point, you know, uh, Russia and Ukraine area is one of the largest producers of fertilizer in the world. I, I think the largest is Canada. Um, and I think Russia is second, one of the largest deposits of, uh, fertilizer, material is believed to be in ukraine also uh, for all of europe uh you know a lot of southern russia and ukraine especially ukraine it has been referred to the breadbasket of europe several times so you know i don't think the average person realizes just how uh tough it is on in, in the agricultural world when you have just a little bit of a hiccup in the supply chain and a little bit of decrease in supply it dramatically affects, uh, you know, worldwide food prices. And I think you're going to see, I don't know that we'll see anything in the United States other than just increase in prices, but I think you'll see food shortages throughout the world uh, worse than we've ever seen, particularly in places that, that have issues in the first place that are just, you know, hard to get to, remote places to get to, or places that are not, uh, you know, economically as viable as places like the United States. But that's a good point, Ron. Appreciate your call. All right. Um, before we go to the next break, uh, we talked about some of the hypocrisy in Washington. Uh, over the weekend, they had the Met Gala, and photos were coming out of all the liberal elites, and and uh, none more liberal and progressive than Hillary Clinton. And when we come back, we'll talk about just some of the hypocr- hypocrisy of, of her and, uh, and her eliteness at the Met Gala. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Man, I've got certain information, all right? Certain things have come to light, and this could be a a lot more uh, 
uh, uh, uh, uh, complex. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know. Sharing certain information is perfect for the drive at five with Tom and Beanie. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? News now and when it breaks with lots of blathering in between. Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. <laughs> Welcome back. We do news and a whole lot of views here, an occasional bloviating moment uh, from time to time. We have talked about over and over again for the last two years about the hypocrisy of the the Democrats, you know, COVID restrictions they want on everyone else. But when it comes to them, uh, they have a different set of rules. You know, we, we look back at Obama's birthday bash uh, last year and, you know, massless people uh, dancing, dancing up, having a good time when all the other restrictions was on everyone else. The Grammys and other celebrity events, you know, places like New York and, and Democrat-run cities would have special rules for the elite, so to speak. We'd see uh, Democrat governors like Gavin Newsom, uh, Nancy Pelosi, and others not wearing masks when there was mask restrictions in, in every walk of life. Well, this weekend was no different. They had the Met Gala, and, of course, all the elites came out and showed off their fancy dress and, and suits and tux and that type of thing. And there's a photo circling around. It was on Fox News and several outlets and talked about it all over Twitter of Hillary Clinton attending the Met Gala Monday evening. And it showed Clinton walking around the red carpet with a red ball gown. The failed presidential candidate was all smiles, posing for the camera without wearing a mask. While I'm exhausted. A, <laughs> while a mask... African-American gentleman who appeared to be one of the event staffs doted on her, adjusted her address, all while he was masked up. And you, you know what? We see this all the time at, at events, uh, and it's just something that we have been seeing for two years, and I think the American people are tired of it. One last story of the day out of your, wow, why didn't they have that when I was in college? Out of WITN earlier in the week, it's finals week at East Carolina University, so the school's libraries is helping the students with anxiety and stress of exams with some goat therapy. Yes, they had some farm animals, specifically goats, to help the students melt away their exam anxieties for a few minutes before hurrying back to the study room. Back in my day, we had reading day. And what did we do? Well, we probably slept off hangovers, to be honest with you. But uh, I want to know, where's my goat, ECU? You didn't have goats for me. Hey, uh, we'll be back here tomorrow. We're going to have Judge Beth Freshwater-Smith, so join us on News and Views tomorrow. Good night, everybody. All right, all right, all right.